Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode number 152, Answers, Hashtag God. Jesse, we are broadcasting live, live for us, from the Worldwide Shedquarters here in Blacksburg, Virginia. Brother, it is good to see you. It's good to be back. We've had a little bit of a break on the podcast of you and me together. You've been rolling, but we well, people have been rolling, right? Uh, Tommy, you was and Tommy, a, Tommy was on a roll. My friend Dave, David Ritchie That's was right. on a roll mm-hmm. for the Christian nationalism. Hopefully, as everyone voted, they voted in conscience and not in idolatry. Uh, yesterday uh, in the great state of Virginia, we voted, and I, you know, got a little pensive, reflective, uh, sitting in my backyard looking at the leaves fall and my kids getting older. Jesse, we did something last mm. week on seasons, but today we are in our next series, uh, Answers. This comes out of where we've been yeah. kind of in wit- uh, Wise Witness and Raising Culture. Uh, Asseldar. Respectful, yeah, respectful Witness. Yeah. Yep. So coming out of that in Answers, we had a lot of friends who were like, hey, why don't you get into some of that? Mm. And so we're going to get into some of that, good answers to good questions uh, over the next several months um, in an amateur kind of way. And maybe in well, a, you're more than an amateur. Way. I think when you said we had a lot, we had a lot of friends asking. I think what you really meant is you had a lot of friends asking. I had friends asking me, why don't you ask Reed to get, to get into that a little bit more? And I said, that, I think that's fair. Oh, I think that's man. fair. Well, Jesse, I am wearing I'm wearing a purple hat today. Sawani, if, if you're watching School guys, of the uh, South. Yeah, University of the South, Swanee Tigers. That's what it is, University uh, of the South. Just had their best women's, not just, they're still going, have best women's soccer season in the history of the school. Is I, it possible? Is it just possible? Let's let's talk about tracing a, a, an argument here. Is it possible <laughs> that they had their best their best season in history because of a certain midfielder? Well, I mean, part of it, you can't say she wasn't contributing. I mean, and, and maybe their head coach, you know, I said, hey, you guys, man, great you won everything this year and their new assistant coach is like hey man you come in you win everything he's like no it was because of your daughter <laughs> so we're proud of her she did well uh we watched them win the regular season uh kind of beat their big rivals on the other team's field they won their conference championship um and now we i gotta drive to st louis <laughs> you get to drive i get to drive can't afford last minute plane tickets mm. for both me and my wife jesse mm. you know we're we're uh we're we're not a, a prosperity ministry here. Yeah, you know what yeah. I'm saying? you'd but, be willing to send out some blessed um, like towels yeah, that people send it or, right. or yeah, send, send some seed money in but. miracle blessing oil for our <laughs> private jet to the NCAA Division Three soccer team. No, we're not doing that. We are driving ten hours to St. Louis. Um, Lord willing, we'll get to see them at least have one game. Hopefully, more than one. We'll see. Uh, I think you know, at least two. Yeah, that'd be great if they could get two. Maybe pull off the upset. You know, there's like, I don't know, 468 or something like that, Division Three women's soccer programs. And so this is the last 64. Everyone, okay. Everyone's really good at this point. It's There's no uh, there's no cake in there. Well, maybe there's a few games that'll be easy for some. We don't have those. We have two pretty tough ones if we win the first one, the second one. we have the, I think we have the out-and-out top team in the country, mm. uh, Washington University of St. Louis. So we'll see how it goes, Jesse. But I'm excited for that. Uh, so that's why we got purple today. That's why I got my uh, my dad hat on. This is a very most dad-looking hat um, today. And you had on your house gear. On I'm, house gear. I'm, I'm black on black right now because I wanted to honor you. <laughs> I knew for certain you'd be wearing black. <laughs> I, there was no doubt. And, uh, and you know, 
Yeah, I got the Bonhoeffer house gear on. And, and never do just for men on your beard because it looks it looks incredible. It looks incredible. <laughs> it's with a, the it's black, all on theme. It's the black and, and white. Gray. It's the black and white yeah. on the shirt and in the beard. And, and you know, I've started to, to use um, oil. Yeah, beard oil. Beard oil. Like the beard of Aaron. It's like yeah, the anointing. That's right. The, yeah. the, I anoint myself, though, so I don't know how that works. <laughs> I, I anoint my beard with oil. Well, Jesse, yeah. uh, today we are coming into this series, Answers, and hashtag God today we're going to look at. But this comes out, of course, our last series that says, but you know, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Be prepared to give a reason or give a defense for anyone to ask you for the reason, the hope that is in you. And do so, and our word from our last series was to do so with gentleness and Mm. respect, right? Respect for other human beings. So we're taking from the episode on Answers, the roadmap for the next several months. So we said that you want to be able to give good answers for what we might call basic Christian doctrines or Mm. teachings. So why do you believe in God? We'll hit that today. Uh, Why do you believe Jesus rose from the dead, the hinge point of history? Why do you think Jesus is the Savior we all need, right? The particularity of the gospel and the saving Messiah, Jesus Christ. Uh, And why do you trust the Bible? So there's our four episodes Mm -hmm. there. And then we'll go into some cultural apologetics that are things particularly suited to our cultural moment. You need both. I think there's a lot of interest many times to the cultural issues because everybody's fighting about those. But without the solid foundation of the the undergirding doctrines of Christianity, which come to us through God's Word, um, we have nothing to preach. And certainly when somebody asks us a question, why do you believe that? Many times we don't don't know what to say. And so Mm -hmm. hopefully... Jesse, we we might be a little bit helpful at least uh, in, in these issues. Now, the cultural issue so we will connect with is we're going to hit why is the church so political? Um, and we're going to answer that question honestly, like not in just the, in the dismissive way, like, oh, don't be political. We're going to say right. why, why maybe you should care about political. Mm. And is there a way to do political? David Ritchie certainly will be helpful to us there. Uh, racism in Christianity, uh, that mingled history that's uh, plagued the human race and the church, uh, environmental concerns of the creation, um, and then what I'm looking forward to, Jesse, aliens, uh, interstellar, <laughs> other interstellar planetary beings. I kind of wish Mithron Yorodo, Thrawn from the Star Wars universe. <laughs> Jesse, I've in all these car trips I've done to soccer and ministry, I've been reading these Thrawn books. So yeah, I'm hoping he's real. Maybe he's out there. No, <laughs> so we're going to talk about aliens, uh, and then we'll bridge into sex and gender, which will be mm-hmm. our next series that we'll hit in 2024, as advertised earlier. But we're taking this uh, brief hiatus into answers. Mm. So Jesse, have you ever been asked why do you believe in God? I have been asked that, and you know, one of the things that I I think just to agree with you, Reed, that why this is so important is that if if all we're doing is addressing the kind of cultural um, uh, uh, hot button issues, or or even really the the, the cultural objections, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I think sometimes we we can end up presenting Christianity as if it's as if it's one option am, among many options in dealing with cultural injustices, or um, so so. All that to say, I think that the the gospel of Christ and, and the reality of Jesus and and uh, and God is 
is more than just one option that you're trying to sort That's of right. position as like the best option. Yeah, particularly when our cultural moment is one that like 31 flavors for everything. Yeah. And we think everything's a choice. Nothing's up to anyone outside of ourselves, right? We determine reality. We determine our beliefs. We find your own truth. You dance to your own music, um, all of that. But in reality, if there is um, things outside of us, yeah. right? Really, one who made us, maybe yeah. that God's voice and view and opinion might matter uh, in our world. Of That's where right. We're obsessed and, and, with our choices, yeah. Yeah, and, and if we're going to engage with those things, we really have to take a step back. And I, and I like to do this when I have conversations with people. And this is why I have been asked, "Why do you believe in God?" Yeah. To say, well, before we can answer that, I think we really have to 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 answer the question: Is there a God? Because if if there is a God, if you agree with me that there is a God. Then, then, it, then, really, we get into like, all right, well, we have to figure out what does he think about this. Yes, who is right. he? What that's kind right. of God is he? But right. yes, I've been asked, why do you believe in God? Yeah. Um, well, as we begin this question, why do you believe in God? I want to make a few rejoinders. First of all, our belief in God does not affect God's existence ontologically at all. In other words, we're not saying that God exists because we conceive Him in our minds, right? Um, our belief is that God is real, the realest of reals that there is. And, so, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press you, Reed, because you're using words that... Um, just casually using the well, word. Well, you say ontological, and <laughs> yeah. obviously there's an yeah. ontological argument, yeah. but, but what do you mean? What does ontological yeah. Ontology mean? Ontology is the study of being or existence, things that are real, right? Sometimes the word metaphysics, ontology, yeah. can be thrown around almost synonymously. I'd say they're a little different, but almost synonymously. So ontologically speaking, that means God has existence. Mm -hmm. Now, Christian philosophers say God is pure existence, right? Yeah. Pure, uh, Thomas Aquinas would say pure actuality. There's no potential or becoming or growth. God is, yep. isn't it? And you know, obviously, Exodus 3, God even gives his covenant name, right? To I am. He calls himself the I am, yep. which is kind of yep. interesting uh, when you connect that. So uh, yep. rejoinder, God is real. Our belief in him or not does not uh, determine that. Mm -hmm. But there might be good reasons to believe that. Um, secondly, there are, and I want you guys to, to feel this, it's like there are arguments or, and, and when I use the word argument, I mean like ways of thinking yeah. to present a truth, right? Um, there are arguments that are philosophically rich, very deep in, say, the analytical philosophy of religion. Um, and some of these arguments we'll t use today or share today are uh, very sturdy and would hold up. I mean, I, I was asked by a philosophy for professor at Virginia Tech when I was kind of taking philosophy for fun years ago, why do you believe in God? And we jumped in, man, right? So there are things that are philosophically rich and uh, solid and sound and clear, rigorous philosophical arguments. But there's also stuff that's just practically helpful. Mm. And and really on our podcast, we want to get to that. Yeah. So I'll jump on me, man, if I say some undefined yep. word yep. or whatever. And so, um, well, I, you know, and what I'm trying to help, <laughs> I'm trying to help listeners like me who may not take a philosophy class yeah. for fun. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so our conversations might not be with a philosophy professor. That's right. It might just be with like mom. And, and so, yeah, exactly. And so we're going to give you guys language uh, both both types of language. Yeah. We're going to give you yeah. the philosophical language, so we might use the word here in a moment, the cosmological argument, and then we're also going to say, hey, we're here. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, why do you believe in God? We're here. We're here. Yeah, yeah, they, no. yeah that's right. Why Why is this? Right. Why? How did How did we happen, right? So, so let me, let me kind of uh, jump to you now, Reed, to say, 
the cosmological argument, I find that to be a really compelling intellectually for me. It's just like, well, this, this is, this makes sense. Yes. And, and I have not engaged with an, with another answer that makes more sense. That's right. And so, so, so unpack it in a way that like, so, so if you're, if you're following along, our first reason why we believe in God is we we are here or cosmos, right? The, The whole world, the universe existence, it begins with the brute fact we're here, yeah. right? And all of us, you know, um, now there are some of you sophisticated philosophical people might doubt your own existence, but even, you know, even Descartes tried to do some ninja tricks with that yeah. and say, well, because I'm the doubting one thing I, I exist. can't. Yeah, yeah. that's a cogito ergo sum, or I think therefore I am. But cosmological thinking, it's a word cosmo, about the cosmos, right? It's a, it's a thinking about the universe and its existence. And there's different kinds Jesse, of cosmology, starting with the universe, the fact of existence, and reasoning to its cause, or reasoning its existence being explained by something else. And that's very important because there there are things that people would call a horizontal mm. uh, cosmological argument, um, which reasons about causation or or the why something is. And probably the most famous of those, and certainly contemporary philosophical reasoning, because of uh, philosophers like William Lane Craig yeah. is what's called the Kalam cosmological argument, which goes back, I forget which uh, medieval Arabic uh, Muslim uh, philosopher, Al-Ghazali, I believe, uh, don't don't quote me on that, um, which starts with existence and reasons to the, universe, the cause of the universe. And obviously there's a very sophisticated modern one that deals with modern scientific understandings of both uh, cosmology, Big Bang cosmologies, inflation of the universe, all these things. But here's the simple uh, horizontal cosmological argument, Kalam version, right? If something, and guys, this is not like rocket surgery, right? This is <laughs> this is pretty basic, right? If something begins to exist, and that's very important to use the word begin here. If something begins to exist, it has a cause, very hard to object to this. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, this is a, what philosophers call a deductive argument. If the premises are true, the conclusion has to follow. Mm-hmm. So people have to get out of this. So if something begins, so if, if I were sitting here and all of a sudden a little uh, aluminum can of uh, apple, Fuji, apple, pear, Celsius uh, hopped up energy drink appeared um, on a table, right? Yep. It wasn't here before. Yep. And all of a sudden, the boom, energy drink is on the table. Your valid question would be what? Where, where, where did that come from? What, what the what? what, right? what how right. did that, where, what, who put that there? That's right. And I would think, did my wife do that? Because she knows I like yeah. apple, Fuji, yeah. apple, pear, Celsius, yeah. right? Which my son makes fun of me for drinking. Um, I, I love those, by oh, the way. When you gosh, said it, I started oh, looking around gosh, thinking, man, do we have those? Are there any around here? Um, a lot of caffeine. So so if something begins to exist all of a sudden, comes into existence, right? If a, we would not accept it without wondering where did it come yeah, from. Yeah, we wouldn't just say, well... Guess it's just it's been just there forever. Been there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess nothing did that, right? So if something begins to exist, it's right to ask about a cause. Now, if something exists, we don't know. It could have been there forever. What do we know about it? But yeah. if something begins to exist, it has a cause. Now, the second premise is is very simple as well and complex when you get in, in mm. making evidence for it. The universe began to exist. Now, this was greatly aided in the 20th century in physics, in cosmology, astrophysics, when we started looking at shifting of light the light spectrum, specifically the redshift and, and micro, microwave background radiation of the universe. So you can look and see how light moves. And so 
when we what we noticed that there seemed to be this background radiation that resembles what in, in layman's term is like resembles the uh, aftershock of an explosion, mm. and so that's where. Uh, Big Bang cosmology comes from, which actually says that the universe began to exist. There is a time equals zero where space time comes into existence uh, and then expands over time. Now, there's all sorts of complex math and, and physics involved with that. We don't need to get into that here today. But uh, a lot of times people get upset about the Big Bang Christians. They're like, well, we didn't come from no bang. We came from God. Well, Big Bang theory was actually super massively helpful to those who believed in God. Because it it got rid of this idea of a steady state universe mm-hmm. that the universe has always existed. In other words, it began right. to exist. And then there's some other arguments for why the universe began to exist related to time and successive moments in time. Because if there was an infinite past, the present never gets here. It gets real fun. Or for you know, with examples like if you have a hotel with an actual infinite rooms, you check someone in. How many are empty? Well, it's still infinity, right? Uh, so these these i these ideas are very important to show that time began progress to the present, moves into tomorrow, and this is the way the universe is. And it has a beginning. If anyone ever says that the universe is a gazillion, whatever years old, they, they are acknowledging its beginning. Yeah. Um, yeah. And now when you do that, if something begins to exist, it has a cause. The universe began to exist. Well, the conclusion then follows. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Now... It doesn't say it's, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, right. and Jacob, right. right? But it certainly would be a non-material, it's not space-time energy, because that be- came into existence, non-temporal, uncaused, and then what philosopher, philosophers call necessary, mm. right? Uh, so you don't get into this, well, what caused this? What caused God? Well, nothing did. God is what philosophers call necessary being. So that's a that's a very simple one that I think anybody can say. The hey, something begins to exist; it has a cause. The universe began to exist, so I think the universe has a cause. I think that causes God, a Creator, right? As we see, Jesus, Jesus talked about God, the Father, Creator of heavens and earth, right? That's what we believe. Mm. Very simple. I was I was show, showed you this before before we recorded, but I was watching a comedian on Netflix recently, and uh, and he's got this bit about how. Um, how someone who disbelieves in God, and especially with a kind of pride of like, oh, you believe in God, yeah. you know, has to still believe that this all came from nothing. That's right. That's and, right. And the, uh, and, and, <laughs> and the the kind of religious leap of faith it is to think yeah. that that nothing caused everything. That's right. It's a miracle. Yeah. It's a miracle of creation. Yeah. And of course the bit turns to, uh, yeah, we were going to play it, but he, he uses the he Lord's uses, name pretty yeah, harshly. Yeah. There's some language at the end. It's really funny guys that we may put it in the show notes, but he basically talks about the magical, nothing, the magical, nothing <laughs> that creates everything. And yeah. that then you return to upon death, which is really just sort of like heaven going for to the, God, yeah, going, yeah, to, going to, your to, your, God. to your maker. Yeah. And yeah. I, I like Aristotle, the ancient Greek philosopher's definition is nothing is that which rocks dream about. Right. And Cause we're here, we're talking about, um, not quantum fluctuations of the early energy field of the universe, the nothing becoming everything. We're talking about philosophical nothing, ontology, yeah. has no being, is no thing, right? Yeah. Nothing causes nothing, nothing ever could. So that's very important. Now, vertical cosmological arguments, I don't know, man. I don't want to get into this too much. Thomas Aquinas did a good on this. This gets into some pretty technical definitions of contingency mm-hmm. and necessity, and but this is pretty simple guys contingent things if if something is contingent 
its existence is dependent upon something else. So yeah. if we were to say, why is there a Jesse Fury? Well, there's probably some parents involved mm. that you derived your existence from. And so the argument for this says that that all things in this world are either contingent or they're necessary, right? They just exist, right? Necessarily. Um, and that all things in this world are contingent. Now, if you can think of, guys, something that doesn't owe its existence to something else, right? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. You get, get where yeah. we're going here? Yeah. Like everything we're looking at, all these leaves outside, this light has a factory behind it or something mm-hmm. that has, it has stuff. All the stuff yeah. has stuff. Rocks, like, leaves, yeah, all exactly, of it. Yep. Exactly, exactly. That's the old joke about Nietzsche saying he can make, or a scientist say he can make everything, you know, without God. And God, God's, the scientist said, hey, give me some dirt. And God said, no, 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 get your own dirt. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so the idea is that everything is contingent. Now, if everything in this universe is contingent, it seems to be, and I don't think this is what people call a fallacy of composition, uh, that if everything in the world, period, is contingent, then the world itself is dependent on other th- something else. So mm. the universe is not necessary. It could not exist. In fact, there was a time then when it didn't, mm. so we know this. And so um, this would then reason that there has to be some necessary being or for entity the for the universe existence, not its beginning. Right. This has nothing to do with temporal causation, but its very existence. And this is uh, concords really well with the biblical witness, like in the book of Hebrews, that God upholds the universe mm-hmm. by the word of his power. Mm-hmm. Right. So starting with existence, we can say i believe in god because we're here and it does it desires an explanation unless you have no questions if you don't want to ask questions you don't you know science is done any learning is done so that's the first line second line jesse has been popular at various times in different ways throughout history where we'd say why do you believe in god well things seem to be designed yeah and purposeful mm-hmm. and you can tell us what teleological that's our big word you can yeah, tell teleological us what, what that is. Uh, yeah, telos is is an aim or an end so yeah. teleological would be that it is um created with a clear design purpose, purpose design yeah. yes and so this has gone in and out of fashion throughout the 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 ages so to speak um in in a in a uh, Newtonian physics kind of way, a guy named William Paley in a book called I think Natural Theology uh, made this divine watchmaker. Yep. This is nineteenth yep. century, uh, where you know the the model at the time was not computers and things like that. It was more like a clockwork universe that mm-hmm. things worked according to physical laws at a macro level, big level. Right, you you throw rocks up and they fall. You know, the, the Newton's laws of physics, which had taken off and, you know, later birthed all the Industrial Revolution, all the things we see, right? Um, so Paley's argument, if you came upon a watch in the wilderness, you're walking around, you see a pocket watch or something, you would think someone made that, right? right? right. And, and it's a reasonable inference. Now, he took heat after, you know, Darwinism, well, uh, because Darwinism, at least, evolutionary, naturalistic Darwinism, because there's, you know, versions, let's say. Uh, naturalistic, that there is no God, no guided anything, is the explanation of things that appear to be designed, but really arose out of purely mechanistic natural processes. Mm-hmm. So Paley's divine watchmaker kind of fell on uh, uh, hard times with you know the ascendancy of you know naturalistic Darwinism, so to speak. Which again was challenged, though, in the last 20, 30 years by uh, you know people like biochemist Michael Behe, 
who, yeah. who, yeah. who started talking about this concept of irreducible complexity, that certain uh, things that we learned when we started learning more about the cell and what's going on in there, the uh, micro machines that exist at a cellular level that, you know, in the time of Charles Darwin, they, you know, the, they thought the cell was a ball of jello. We didn't know about all the things mm-hmm. we know about uh, DNA and different mitochondria. And, and we know it's yes. not now. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just to clarify, it could be jello, it's not you know? it's not jello, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And this is the difference between us, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm learning. So the keep cell going. is not jello. The cell is or, not jello. I'm taking notes. Jelly or anything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's all this stuff going on that we can see now. And so Michael B. He was a bi- he was a biochemistry mm-hmm. chemist um, and professor said there there are certain things that all have to be there for these microscopic machines to work. And to imagine them coming uh, into being by step by step by step uh, mutation and natural selection is very hard to imagine because if it doesn't have all the pieces, uh, it doesn't work in full. And we see things like this, like the functioning of the eye, right? How does the eye evolve? Now, of course, there are all arguments and answers to all this Mm -hmm. stuff, but irreducible complexity, all parts are necessary or the part doesn't work is an argument people have been making to say, hey, maybe there is a design, right? Um, And then specified complexity. And this gets into information theory that now we know when someone says that DNA is a a code, right? Mm. That it encodes for certain things that our genome and our sequencing uh, creates. Everything that happens at a macro level happens at this biochemical level. And that there's actual information, right, in this code. And so information comes from minds, not from random processes. So there's some really good mathematical arguments being done about specified complexity. These things have to be or they won't. And then finally, in in design, there is some really good thinking. I'm just giving you guys some words. You can Google them, man. You can find stuff on this. The anthropic principle. That anthro, meaning man, human beings, uh, the the idea that the universe appears to be um, designed, if we can use the word, fine-tuned to not only permit life, but for the emergence of intelligent life, Mm. down to the very constants of physics, right? They couldn't be different by at least a tiny, tiniest bit, or life would, as we know it, could not and would not Mm. exist. And, you know, people who aren't committed to, say, propositions ahead of time that God can't exist, uh, makes one wonder if this universe is fine-tuned to exist and for us to exist, that it maybe was done on purpose yeah. right yeah um and of course you know this is the big discussion in 20th century physics if you saw the the movie on um oppenheimer right uh, there was a lot of discussion of this due to quantum mechanics we won't get in that jesse but anyway that um the world in it, it is seems to be a fix and that's why uh you know the whole quote from Einstein, they didn't believe God plays dice with the universe, that it's not random yeah. or, or a chaos. There, there's actually a configuration to it, and it was made to be what it is. And it could have been different, but it's not. So it seems to per- permit life. Now, people try to get around that by um, conjecturing or imagining a multiverse. We love multiverses now in comic books and sci-fi mm-hmm. movies and uh Poor uh, TV shows like The Flash. No, I'm just kidding. My kids love The Flash, so they would get on me for that uh, comment. But the multiverse and Spider-Verse, there's parallel universes, there's multiverses. Universes could pop into existence all the time. So this one looks totally improbable to be what it is. But if you had a bunch of them, mm-hmm. maybe we can fix the probabilities. But it doesn't. 
Um, so the anthropic principle that the universe appears designed with exact physical contents to permit life and intelligent life seems to have held strong. Now, there's been uh, 20th century atheists who have converted in light of this. Yeah, I right? was going to say, I, in my experience as a man on the street... Anthony Flew was a big atheist yeah. guy who you know became a theist mm-hmm. by, by the end. Because yeah. Of this. I think the fine tuning of the universe and the these arguments, I think, carry more weight than um, than maybe I even remember when I was first kind of coming to Christ. Yeah. It, it does seem, and, and I don't know if that is a you know a, a kind of um, almost a scientism where if if there's a scientific principle behind this that you can oh you're showing me the fine tuning, you're showing yeah. me the irreducible complexity of the cell. Like oh well, I trust the person in the white lab coat. That's right. That's as, right. You know, and so so, but for what, whatever, I mean, I think it's it's compelling to me. It's interesting, Jesse, because and guys, this is very important because remember, we when we want to um, live amongst people, we want to share our life, we want to share the gospel, we want to listen to them, we want to help them de- deconstruct or or disrupt, you, yeah, disrupt, yeah, disrupt, yeah. Um, give good answers. Listen, when we talk about Alsaldar. Remember, people are different. Um, there are a lot of people that believe in like magic crystals and dragons and stuff, and they have no problem with believing in miracles or gods or goddesses. Man, they believe everything. So, so man, you just talk about mm-hmm. talk about Jesus and his uniqueness, and you maybe get in get right at it. There are other people that l- look for more kind of scientific or philosophical reasons, right? And so I'm not going to do some big scientific argument with someone who doesn't even care about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for some people, it really matters that, that they have to have an intellectual respectability to what they believe. And they will have to ask those questions, and those kind of arguments are good good for them. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it's important, right, to have the philosophical versions that have some rigor and then also just the, hey— Hey, things seem to be designed and purposeful. Uh, DNA, cells, it seems like there's a mind behind it. You can talk as simply as that or get into the more uh, higher level philosophical and scientific discussions. So first one, we're here, cosmological. Uh, Second one, things seem designed and purposeful, right? Uh, Design arguments. Um, And then thirdly, uh, there seems to be, and I think this is one of my favorite ways to talk to people, Jesse, there seems to be a moral nature Mm. To reality, this has become more helpful in our day because people care about evil doing and injustice and all the crap people do to each other, um, and, and people are mad about it. And people seem to think that there is some real right and wrong that they're appealing to. And when you do that, it puts you very much in a universe designed and purposed because morality uh, has to do with value and goodness, uh, and that is very, very hard simply to derive atheistically or by science alone. We did a whole series, guys, if you want to go back and look at the book, uh, Science and the Good by Hunter and Nedaleski. We talked about that for several months, right, Jesse? But the moral arguments, how about you read that C.S. Lewis quote for us? This from Mere Christianity. I'd love to read this because um, I'm so glad you included this. When I was a teenager, I read Mere Christianity, and I, I wasn't I wasn't against God. I was pretty convinced. I grew up Roman Catholic and had a kind of conception of something there. Yeah. But this was so compelling, this particular quote. So I'm glad to read it. This is from Lewis, Mere Christianity. My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. 
What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? If the whole show was bad and senseless from A to Z, so to speak, why did I, who was supposed to be part of the show, find myself in such a violent reaction against it? Shaking your fist at the evil, Mm. so to speak, right? Of course I could have given up my idea of justice by saying it was nothing but a private idea of my own, but if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too. For the argument depended on saying the world was really unjust, not simply that it did not happen to please my fancies. Thus, in the very act of trying to prove that God did not exist, in other words, that the whole of reality was senseless, I found I was forced to assume that one part of reality, namely my idea of justice, was full of sense. (laughs) If the whole universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning. Just as, if there were no light in the universe, and therefore no creatures with eyes, we should have never known it was dark. Dark would be without meaning. Okay. So, the probably the most uh, strenuously um, articulated argument against the idea of a good uh, creator God is the problem of evil, yeah. looking at the suffering of the world, which is massive and varied, um, and saying, well, how could there be something if this? And so Lewis had that feeling because he converted from atheism in his life to agnosticism and then became a Christian. Um, he would say, man, this world seems cruel and unjust. And he's like, what am I talking about? Right. Because if you don't believe in those categories as real, um, then you're just, you're just saying, I don't like vanilla ice cream and you like chocolate ice cream. And that we're really just talking about stuff that fits our fancies. Uh, we're not talking about something really unjust and evil that should be changed, ought to be changed. We're just talking about opinions Mm -hmm. about our experience. And that's not usually what people mean when they're railing about whatever ism is that makes us angry, right, uh, that have been done on the earth. So, so Lewis is really great. That We'll put that quote in the show notes for you guys. If you haven't read Mere Christianity, it's a wonderful read. This was certainly uh, written right after World War II. Is that right, Jesse? So or he was giving lectures during World War II, I That's think. Right. I think the BBC. Right. So on the radio. So, yeah, right, so yeah. it was written after. Radio? I, yeah, yeah, I think it's because he was... He was giving them in a serial lecture um, on the radio on BBC. Yeah. And they turned it into the book. So if yeah. you haven't read that, and, and, and I think that context historically is important yeah. because if you're saying, well, you don't know real suffering, C.S. Lewis, well, no, they were in the, the largest calamity of destruction of human life, where specifically in Europe, uh, where cities were bombed into, into oblivion, right? So certainly wrestling with those issues. Now, in terms of philosophy, Jesse, there are really uh, short, clear arguments um, the one I really am, am drawn to again, William Lane Craig uses this one. He says, if God does not exist, then objective moral values do not exist. In other words, it, when we say, when we say something is objectively morally good or objectively good, that means something is good or right, even if no human brain conceives of it as such. So thought experiment, for example, if, um, I don't want to use two contemporary examples. Okay, so if the 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 um, in in a genocidal war, okay, two people have different ideas and they're killing each other. So say one side wipes the other side out completely and convinces everyone that genocide is right in their society, it still doesn't make it right. Or or more, you know. So if the Nazis had won World War Two yep. in Lewis's time and convinced everyone that say like destroying and killing all the Jewish people yeah. was right. Even if everyone's brain conceived of it as right, um, it doesn't make it right. Yeah. 
And if you if you say morality is that way, or even if you admit it could possibly be that way, um, you have to then uh, say that's very hard to sustain if there is no uh, standard outside of ourselves. Yeah. And that's certainly what, what God would say. So if God does not exist, then objective moral values do not exist, meaning something is right or wrong, whether we believe it or not. Okay. Second, second premise here would be, well, objective moral values do exist, right? Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes people are so committed to this that you have to kind of, you have to kind of shock folks. And so, um, I've used examples like, hey, if somebody thought boiling babies for fun was good for him because that's his opinion and he likes it, is he wrong? Well, if he's wrong, wrong, he's wrong everywhere. Yeah. And if morality is that way, objective moral values do exist, right? Then we're dealing with a, a moral universe with morality coming to us, not uh, us just making it up as it were as we go. So if God does not exist, objective moral values do not exist, well, but objective moral values do exist. Therefore, God exists. This is actually a deductive argument, Jesse. It's called modus tollens in Latin. It's basically saying if P, then Q, not Q, therefore not P for philosophy nerds out there. Um, Because uh, the premises are true, the conclusion must follow. So for someone to deny this, they have to explain how objective moral values exist apart from any source outside of ourselves um, and, and relativism does not uh, emerge. So in other words, like, you know, most of the conversations today is that morals are relative to cultures and different cultures have different ideas, mm. different loves, different values. One culture says this is right. Another culture says that is right, which on a base level is true. There are differences, yeah. right? But at the same time, uh, is there no transcultural moral values that would we'd all be held to account for um for instance hey we just boil babies for funds in our culture our culture does that yep yep so in in the the importance of this if there are no objective moral values outside of ourselves we cannot advocate uh, for real moral change in any significant way so for instance if the majority says that jim crow racism in the south is correct who are we to say they're wrong? Well, we we certainly can say they're wrong. Yeah. And certainly Martin Luther King Jr. letting from Birmingham jail appeals to but you have to a appeal higher higher morality. Right. To an objective higher morality. Yeah. Of course, you know, Dr. King's appealing to a, a morality out, you know, that's based in God. Mm. Right? The God is the source of moral uh goodness. Now that's a philosophical argument. Jesse, there is a very fun, popular level um way of talking to people that I've I, I've done this all the time um, and with, you know, people who have various intellectual interests, so to speak. And so um, it's very common for us to be aware, right, that uh, we are not perfect. At least the phrase nobody's perfect or I'm not a perfect person right. is understandable, reasonable, yep. and people use it still yep. all the time. So I've kind of said, hey, uh, just by asking question, you know, you ask your friend, I was like, hey, do you believe that you're a perfect person? Almost everyone, unless no. they're a sociopath, yeah. uh, <laughs> is going to say no. And then my question is like, well, what do we mean? How do you know? How do you know? What does it mean that I'm not perfect? Yeah. Like, do I What's fall short of something? Like, um, you know, is it just like saying nobody is, is, use our magic word, nothing? Nobody is nothing. Is that what we're saying? Or are we saying nobody is? perfect. Mm. So what if someone is, 
right? It would certainly make sense of this intuition that we have that we're not perfect. It certainly would make sense that we're saying a meaningful sentence that makes sense. It's clear. It's accurate. I, I know that nobody, all these human beings, at least all these fools that I hang out with, knowing my own heart, right? Knowing my children, we are not perfect. We fall short. What, what, what is that, right? Wouldn't it make a lot of sense if something or someone, someone is, mm. right? And if that's the case, then, well, who's the candidates for that? You know, well, that's what we mean. You know, the, in the biblical tradition, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Nobody is good from God, but God, right? Yeah. The goodness and perfection lies in a person and actually who we could relate to, who, and as a human being, someone who is perfect would seem pretty awesome, right? We'd see that's maybe worthy of worship. And I th- I find that using that, that, you know, don't do this for your philosophy professor. They're going to like, blah, 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 blah. But man on the street, man, yeah, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. What do we mean by that? Mm. Well, how about we know the one that is, right? Mm. Um, so those, those, those Jesse, you know, we're here, cosmological things seem designed, uh, teleological moral arguments for the existence of God and moral nature of the universe. Um, I, I think that 20th century atheism realized that, um, spe- specifically people like Jean-Paul Sartre and the existentialists, they, mm-hmm. they, you know, he wrote a play called No Exit about life. We wrote another thing called Nausea, uh, where people s- said, well, life, if God is gone, right, if there is no God, there is no ultimate purpose to this world. There is no ultimate ultimate meaning to the world. And that's where people would say stuff like, well, the only question left is why shouldn't you kill yourself, right? Yeah. Philosophers, right? Geez, great job, philosophy. No wonder you're getting cut in all the universities <laughs> of America, right? <laughs> Do something helpful for us, philosophers. Uh. And so the idea that, that life is meaningless makes life very difficult, particularly when you want things like hope. It yeah. seems to be an essential ingredient. When you need things like justice, when you need things to make sense, that life isn't just a fake, an absurdity. Right. And so this is important because if God exists, right, there is justice, there is purpose to human life. And the implications of life after death, I think, are very important. Yeah. Because think about it, Jesse. If there is no life to come, there is no judgment or justice ultimately outside of the human courts of affairs, right? What does it mean? Did did someone who lives their life as a saint or a Hitler? It literally makes no difference to them mm. once they're dead. That's why a lot of these heinous evildoers go and shoot up stuff and then off themselves because they think it's an out. Well, if God exists, there's no out there, yeah. right? There is ultimate accountability after death even. And so we seem to need justice. And it seems like, hey, what if it, that stuff is real? If that stuff is real, it seems to be that God would be the the ultimate judge of reality, Right. Um, finally, Jesse, as we wrap up today, we won't go too long here, is that you you guys, man, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you know God personally through a relationship with Jesus Christ, we should not back away from that when someone asks us the question, why do you believe God is real? 
there's a beautiful answer in that I know God and he's changed my life. Mm-hmm. I've come to know God through Jesus Christ, who's forgiven my sins, made me a new person, given me hope and a future. Uh, my family, I have five generations of faithful followers of Jesus Christ who know God, and I've seen the beauty of that. Your testimony is hopefully <laughs> one of the reasons we have to believe, right? Mm. That there is a, a immediate experience of God. John Calvin uh, spoke of this, right? Who is a super like theological nerdy guy, right? Pastor, really deep, wrote big fat books when he was a you know barely a teen over out of his teenage years. Um, but he even spoke clearly of what he called the census divinitatis. Why don't you read that quote from the Institutes for us? Yeah, yeah. that there exists in the human mind, and indeed by natural instinct, some sense of deity we hold to be beyond dispute, since God himself, to prevent any man from pretending ignorance, has endued all men with some idea of his Godhead. This is not a doctrine which is first learned at school, but one as to which every man is, from the womb, his own master one which nature herself allows no individual to forget. People know that they know that there's something there. This even is to the atheist who's mad at God and the conception of God that he denies is even real, but Mm -hmm. certainly messes up his life and makes him very, very angry. Um, And then as we look and we say, hey, maybe there seems that there is a God. God himself has decided to make himself known to human beings. This is where the beauty of Jesus himself comes to us, Jesse, that God did not want to be known simply through abstract theological or philosophical principles or big fat books, that God became one of us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld, we saw his glory. Uh, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen God. God in a meat suit, like my friend Eric Mason used to say, the incarnate, the incarnation, that God became flesh in Jesus Christ, lived a life of beauty and goodness, showing us what God is, Mm -hmm. and then died, crucified under Pontius Pilate for our sins, and that our claim isn't that dead people rise, right? We know dead people die and they stay dead. But our claim is that God raised Jesus from the dead as his fingerprint and stamp on human history with this profound uh, event that marks the high top of human history, the perfect man in flesh, the perfect man wrongfully and justly killed for us so that our injustice and sins could be forgiven, and then God vindicating for our justification, raising him gloriously from the dead, Jesse. And that, too, is why we believe in God. Amen. The Gospel Underground is a podcast produced with Jesse's Fly Black Bonhoeffer House sweatshirt uh, in partnership with the Bonhoeffer House. Review us on Apple Podcasts. I was saying iTunes forever, Jesse. You never correct me. (laughs) Apple Podcasts, Googles, and Spotify. Put us some stars up. Send your comments, feedback, questions to us that you might want us to take up to info at gospelunderground.org. We are a dialogue taking place out in them streets. Where, where God is real, Jesse. Amen. And wants to be known and know you through Jesus Christ. Peace. Peace.